Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're continuing, of course, our study of this great letter. It's a powerful letter. It's very practical. It's written by Paul the Apostle to a younger disciple and a fellow worker by the name of Timothy. Of course, Paul had left Timothy and a church at Ephesus with instructions, and the instructions were establish the church and correct the doctrine and appoint leaders. It's a lot of stuff in there. This great letter can help us as we seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ. First of all, it helps us individually. Think about this. Paul gives instructions and information to Timothy individually. Such areas as ministry and spiritual gifts and service, and he writes to encourage Timothy. Well, we can be encouraged as we study through this letter as well. But the second thing that Paul does is he gives instructions to the local body, to the local church, and, and we can learn from that. He, he deals with false teachers and church order and leadership and relationships within the body, and that, that can help us as well. This morning, Paul gets right to the very first issue. It's amazing. It's false teachers, people teaching things that are wrong. It's not from the Scripture. We look at this and go, wait a minute, how, how do we deal with problems like this in a local body and about things that are being taught that aren't really from the Bible or scriptural? How do we deal with that? Well, we want to gain from our study and we may we be encouraged, of course, to build our lives on sound doctrine, as Paul calls it, as we go through our study. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, we as guys, we have the TV and we, we get on there and we just click from channel after channel after channel. That's just the way we do it. Well, anyway, you know, sometimes you go past those channels and they have the tele-evangelists on there. Those are the, the programs. And, and, you know, there's ministry and things. And it seems to me that sometimes the mass media of the television has caused a lot of uproars and things in this. On one hand, it's a great idea to use the TV to reach millions of people with the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And the media can use to, to teach the Bible. But on the other hand, what we've seen, it seems like things have gone wrong. Rather than uh, so many of those ministries being teaching the truth, but they seem to more entertain rather than to teach. The methods over the years we see have been hit with scandals. There's a lack of trust on some of these things. The media is full of false teaching, the entertainment, fundraising, even an emphasis on experience rather than the Word of God. It's sad to say, but most of what we see on the television, especially in the Christian aspect of it, it seems to miss the mark from biblical Christianity. The perversion from the Word of God has happened and has led to false teaching. Paul calls this strange doctrine, and we'll see it as we go through the, the letter this morning as we talk about it. Paul charges Timothy to deal with this, and, and we're going to see it because Timothy is a young man, and he's been left in a church, left in Ephesus, and we'll talk more about it in just a second, and he's got to deal with some pretty heavy issues, and we'll see it as we go through. I think there's a lot from the passage this morning, a lot from the book, and of course as we go through it passage by passage, week after week, I think there's some great things we can learn. Let me, let's begin. Let, let me remind you what we saw when we began our study several weeks ago. Uh, First Timothy, we got some background, and, and we saw the purpose and the flow of the book. Paul is an apostle, and he writes to his friend and fellow worker, Timothy. And they had been in the church in Ephesus together. As we studied our book, the letter of Philippians, Paul had been in prison. He got released from prison. He and Timothy, the best we can tell, went to Ephesus. Ephesus was the main church of the day. Other than Jerusalem, the leading church of all Christianity in that time, Around 60 to 65 BC, AD, that there was the church of Ephesus was powerful. Now the Corinthian church was there, but they were so confused and had so many problems that they were not a leading church. But Ephesus was. Paul was there with Timothy. Paul leaves and goes to northern Greece, leaves Timothy in that church, and there's some issues there. Even as good as the church of Ephesus was. Now Paul had already written the letter to the Ephesians, which we've seen, which we've studied at Countryside, the six chapters of that book. But there's something wrong there. There is some men. There are some men in the church at Ephesus who are teaching things that are wrong, and apparently they were in places of leadership. 
And we're going to see that Paul wants Timothy to deal with that. And we'll see it as we go through. It's pretty powerful. He encourages Timothy to fulfill the ministry that he has there. There's a lot there. Here's what we saw. There's three big things as we go through the book. First of all, Timothy was to appoint leaders. Now, there are already some leaders in this church, but what Paul's going to have to, but Timothy's going to have to do is to appoint different leaders. In fact, we're going to see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that he actually gives the characteristics of a person who's supposed to be in leadership in a local church. So he's going to talk about that. It's powerful. Then he's got to deal with false teachers. We see it right at the beginning of the letter. Now, the false teachers, that is such a, a, a tough problem. That's an issue. A lot of people don't really give much thought about what is being taught. There's a lot of people that don't listen very well. The person can say something that's actually contrary to the Scripture, and sometimes people don't even get it. They don't even see it. And so what, what was happening in the church at Ephesus, there were men in leadership who were teaching things that were not from the Bible. And we'll see what's going to happen there. The third thing was to encourage unity because he's going to talk about relationships within the body of Christ and, 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 and it's powerful. Now, this letter can help us twofold. Number one, it can help us individually because we can see a lot of things there about what Paul talked to Timothy about, how we grow as believers, how we to fulfill ministry, how to deal with our relationships within the body. But it also can help us as a local church because we're going to see the importance of leadership. We're going to see the importance of biblical teaching and making sure that the, body is, uh, that the Bible is taught clearly. And we're going to talk about unity and love within the body. So there's a whole bunch of things in the letter, and we're just going to touch on it. Let me show you this morning what we're going to do. We're going to verse, look at the first four verses. We already looked at verse 1 last time. We'll just review that. But in verses 1 and 2, we have Paul's introduction. Paul writes to Timothy. Immediately in the letter, beginning at verse 3 and verse 4, he gives the issue of false teachers. That's what he calls them. He says that there are people, he says, I do not want them teaching strange doctrine. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. Well, let's begin. Let's look at it. Uh, we, last time we saw verse 1, and we'll go through it very quickly, just a quick review. But notice what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Now, Paul is writing the letter. He had, uh, he's been sent out with authority of Jesus Christ. You remember that Paul on the road to Damascus trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and he was on fire for the Lord and Paul, and God used Paul to go on three different missionary journeys. He'd gone to Rome. He's gone to all kind of different things. He's an apostle. Now he writes as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Until the New Testament was completed, the apostles were the authority. If Paul wrote a letter, if Paul said something, if Paul said, thus is from the Lord, that would be the same as Jesus Christ speaking himself. Apostles had that kind of authority. Now, after the apostles died, the last letter, the last book of the New Testament was the book of Revelation in about 95 A.D. When John died and wrote the book of Revelation after that, the word of God became the authority because the apostles are gone. That's why today we are not the authority. The Scripture's the authority. We go out in the authority of, the, of God's word. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're not apostles. We are not the authority, but the Scripture, the word of God, is the authority. Notice what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment. That word commandment means royal order. Paul said he was sent out by God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who is our hope. So we talked about that last time. I want to remind you of something. Sometimes you look in the Bible and you'll see it'll say Jesus Christ, and then sometimes it'll say Christ Jesus. In this passage, Paul twice says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and then at the end of the verse he says, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. I taught you last Last time this, that whenever you see the name Jesus first, if it's Jesus Christ, he's making the emphasis his humanity because Jesus is his personal name. Now, whenever you see Christ Jesus, the emphasis is his deity. 
In this passage, he starts off three different times before he even gets down further. He's going to call him Christ Jesus. Why does he want the emphasis on the deity of Christ? Because he's going to deal with false teachers. That's what he's going to talk about. So we'll see it. Now, just as Paul was sent out by Jesus Christ, I want to remind us all that we are sent out by Jesus Christ, not as apostles but ambassadors. We get to go in this community to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is twofold. It is evangelism and training. It is leading people to Christ and training them and equipping them. That's our role. That's our responsibility. I hope and pray all of us in this room say that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go in this community, tell people about Jesus Christ. When they trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, then we're to train them and equip them. So Paul says he's been sent out by Jesus Christ, by the Father, and by Christ Jesus, who is their hope. Then he writes it, as he says, to Timothy. Say, this is the second part. He's writing to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, he writes to Timothy. Timothy was a young man that traveled with Paul. Now, let me give you a little background, because Paul called Timothy... His kindred spirit. He was a guy that just matched him. I don't know if in your life you've got the guys or girls that you got somebody that just matches you and you go, I, I just love that person. I have a guy. His name is Butch Simmons. He lives in Starville, Mississippi. Uh, when I coached at Mississippi State, he worked in the, the uh, physical education department. He now became real good friends. We've been friends forever. He went to Dallas Seminary before I did. He's a pastor as well. And so he's, he's become a great friend of mine. We are kindred spirits. In fact, before the game yesterday, he calls me. They're playing Jackson State. Mississippi State's playing Jackson State. He calls me. And he says, I'm on the way to the game. Where are you? I said, I'm on the way to the game. He said, well, I hope you all win. I said, I hope you all win. And then he called me after the game. He said, we won. I said, yeah. And then he said, I saw you all won. I said, yeah, that was good. We all won. So he is my kindred spirit. He's that guy that if, if I haven't seen him in a year, as soon as I see him, we're, we're just together. It's just the way it works. The same way Paul said with Timothy. Paul says over in Philippians that Timothy was his kindred spirit. He's this younger guy that they just matched. Now, let me give you a little background because Paul says, my true child in the faith. What does that mean? Well, there's two views. There's one that, see, Paul went through on a first missionary journey. He went to the region of Galatia. That's where Timothy was from. Some people believe that Paul, on the first trip through, saw Timothy, led Timothy to Christ, then left, and then as he came through on his second trip, somebody said, Timothy's really growing. And Paul said, oh, yeah, I remember him. I led him to Christ. Timothy, you want to go with me on the trip? And Timothy said, yeah, and he traveled with him. That's one view. There's another view that we get a little bit from the book of 2 Timothy. Timothy had a very godly grandmother named Lois and a very godly mother named Eunice. And it says that they taught him the scriptures when he was a little boy. So the other view is that maybe he was already a believer, taught by his grandmother and mother as he grew up. And then when Paul came through on the second missionary journey, he went with Paul. Nobody knows. But it does say this. Paul calls him my true child in the faith. And we don't know whether that means Paul saying, I led him to Christ, or maybe that he's just had a great influence. One thing for sure, if you have the privilege of leading someone to Christ, they become your child in the faith in that sense. You know, that's, that's what we do. And so it's very, very powerful. Now, they serve together in Philippians 2, which we studied not too long ago, Philippians 2.22. He says, we serve together as a son serves with a father. Now... When you have the privilege, and by the grace of God, you have the privilege of, of talking to people about Christ and hoping that they come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, they become your child in the Lord, and you get to, to help them grow. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time, and this is hard now, but when was the last time you led someone to Christ? 
When was the last time you were used by God that you talked to them about Jesus Christ as Savior? And maybe by the grace of God, they put their faith in Christ as Savior. See, we've got opportunities, but most of the time we just kind of overlook them because we're not looking for the opportunities. What we need to do is we go out this door, we need to be saying, there are people out there that do not know Christ as Savior, and so I'm going to be used by God. I'm gonna, Lord, just use me to tell people about Christ, and we want to be faithful to do that. And by, by the way, our, the Great Commission, is, as we said well ago, was to make disciples, which is evangelism and training. So not only do we lead them to Christ, but we get to train them as well. So Paul says, Timothy, my true child in the faith. We're not sure exactly whether he means I led Timothy to Christ or that he's really helped him grow as a believer. There are three words that stand out in this verse. Look what it says. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Those three words are incredible words. You know, you could spend a whole study on grace. You could spend a whole study on mercy. You could spend a whole study on peace. I want us to think about the words for just a second, okay? Grace means this. It means unmerited favor. It means uh, that God, by the way, God deals with us totally in grace. Now, there's a lot of people who talk about grace, but they've never grasped grace. They think they have, but they haven't, because grace is in every aspect of our lives. We are saved by the grace of God. We live the Christian life by the grace of God. We look for the future appearing of our Savior by the grace of God. Our salvation is by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. We do not deserve to have eternal life. We do not deserve to get to be with Jesus Christ forever. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. We don't deserve to get to be with God, but he's given us what we don't deserve. That's grace. And we ought to be thankful to God for the grace in our, his grace in our lives. It's amazing. Now, there's a second word, and it's the word mercy. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. See, grace is not is getting what you don't deserve. Well, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You know what we deserve? We deserve to be separated from God forever. That's what we deserve. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saves us. We ought to get up every day and say, thank you, God, for your mercy in my life, not giving me what I deserve, not giving us what we deserve. He gives us grace and mercy. Now, by the way, you've heard people say, I want justice. We don't want justice. We don't want God's justice. If we get God's justice, we're all sent, separated from him forever. See, God is a just God. God did not give us his justice. God poured out his justice on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died in our place. He is our substitute and our sacrifice. The justice of God was poured out on Jesus so the grace and mercy of God could be poured out on us. Be thankful that God so loved the world, that's us, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be in our place, to be our substitute, to die for us so he could pour out his justice on Jesus because the wages of sin is death. They're going to have to be a death. He poured out his justice on Jesus so his grace and mercy could be poured out on us. Every day we ought to wake up and say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. There's another word, and that's the word peace. Peace has the idea of well-being and harmony. Romans 5, 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What you realize from the Scripture, there's two kinds of peace in the Scripture. There's peace with God, which comes by faith. Whenever you believe in Jesus, you are an enemy of God. Here's the perfect God. Here's sinful man. When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we're brought 
brought back into a relationship with him. So now we have peace with God. But there's also the peace of God, which is as you live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. There's a peace of God coming in our lives. I think in this passage, when Paul says to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace from God, it's not the, it, it's the, it's the peace of God there, which is uh, the peace that he's going to have to have. Let me tell you, when, when this young man is going to have to confront in a church, which was the most important church of the day other than Jerusalem, he's going to have to confront leaders in that church for teaching the wrong things. He's going to need the peace of God in his life. He's going to need the grace of God in his life. And he's going to need the mercy of God in his life. It's very, very powerful. So, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, when you read the scripture, and hopefully we're reading it every day, whenever you come across the words grace and mercy and peace and those, maybe slow down and think about what the grace of God really is in your life and think about what the mercy of God is in your life and what the peace of God is in your life. Well, from this... He is now going to move to the first issue, and that's the big issue, and that's dealing with the false teachers. Uh, that's a problem, problem in the church at this time. And you know, you know, the thing about it, it's so amazing to me that if you've ever studied church history, you'd think that, that here's Paul, here's Peter, here's James, here's John. They're all writing letters, and they're all apostles in the churches, and they're being taught. You would think there wouldn't be any problems. You would think that everybody would go, I believe it. Everybody believes the same thing, but that's not what happened. Almost immediately, people begin to believe different things. People begin to move away from the truth. Did you realize that in the middle of the first century, they were already teaching that you had to be baptized to be saved? Teaching that. That's never, never in the scripture, but they were teaching that. Already by the end, the starting of the second century, they had, they had works and baptism and everything else. It, it was already beginning to be perverted. It happens all the time. People move away from the truth if you're not careful. Here is the church. Ephesus, that Paul has been there, he's leaving Timothy there, and they've got an issue there with false teachers, and it's coming from some of their leaders. Notice what he says, verse 3. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrine. Now, here's remind Timothy of the plan. He's gone on to Macedonia. Macedonia is northern Greece. He's gone there. He's left Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Now, he, he it urges. Notice what he says. As I urged you upon my departure. Now, the word urge there means to beg. He basically was begging Timothy to stay there while he left. Now, if you're Timothy, you'd think, wait a minute, what, you know, what's the deal? Why does Timothy want to go so much? Well, let, let's think about this. Wouldn't you want to be with Paul? I mean, if Paul's leaving, wouldn't you want to go with Paul? When you say, I want to be with Paul. Paul's kindred spirit. He's like my friend. He's, he's the greatest. I want to get with Paul. But Paul says, no, I want you to stay there. Second thing maybe that Timothy didn't want to stay is because of the problems. There's problems with leadership. There's problems in administration. There's problems with teaching. And then the third thing is he had to establish the church and he's going to have to meet some leaders. Let me tell you, how would you like to be a young man who tells leaders in churches you cannot teach anymore and you have to step down and we've got to appoint other men who meet the following characteristics? That's not going to be easy for Timothy. You can see Timothy saying, I'd just like to go. Is that okay? I don't want to stay here. But that's Timothy had that assignment. Now, you know what? Every one of us in this room, we have an assignment. We have a responsibility. And it's to make, ambassador, make disciples, and we're, to go, we're ambassadors for Christ, and we go out there and we tell people the truth about Jesus Christ. We go into a fallen world, and it is not going to be easy. 
especially when you go on that campus and a lot of people say, oh, you don't believe this. You don't, you don't believe this, do you? And you say, yes, I do. And they, they'll make fun of you. And you're going to have to stand for Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. As I urge you upon my departure for Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men. The word instruct there literally means to command. It means Timothy had authority from Paul the Apostle. When Timothy came into that church and said, you men are going to have to step down. You can't teach that anymore. It wasn't Timothy's authority. It was Paul the Apostle giving him the authority and the Word of God. It's very powerful. He's like a soldier going out uh, with authority into battle. And we're like soldiers going out with authority into battle as we represent our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what some of the things he's going to have to deal with? And we talked about it a couple, several weeks ago. He's going to have to talk about false teachers and prayer and liberty and law and uh, leaders and relationships. All of these things in this letter. Well, he deals right with this first issue. False teachers. People teaching the wrong things. Let me tell you something. It is so vital that the Bible is taught. You, you know, let me tell you. There, first of all, there are places where the Bible is not taught at all. I went to a church one day with a friend of mine. This has been, a few, this has been several years ago. And I, I had a Bible. And, and I, as I went in, I noticed that nobody else had Bibles. And it didn't take me long to realize why nobody else had Bibles. Because they never opened the Bible. They never used the Bible. There are a lot of churches that the Bible is never taught at all. Never even used. There are other churches that you can go into and they use the Bible, but they talk about the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. That's a difference as well. Be careful. There are people who will talk about the Bible, but there's a difference in talking about the Bible and teaching the Bible. The Bible must be taught. Second Corinthians, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, Teach the Word in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. The Bible has to be taught. It is the authority. It's what we must know. And so Paul says, as I urged upon, I told you, as I left to go to Macedonia, I told you to stay on at Ephesus so that you would command certain men not to teach strange doctrines. There are a lot of people that say, it just doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. Yeah, you can be sincerely wrong. Look at this. The teaching of God's word is the key to growth. It's the key to understanding our message and our purpose. It's the scripture. You must know the word of God. Now he says here that there were certain men. He wants him to command certain men not to teach strange doctrine. He doesn't name their names here. I want you to flip over to, if your Bible's like mine, just look over the very end of verse one, uh, of, of uh, chapter 1. Look at verse 20. He names two men's name here that they have suffered shipwreck. He says that they've, that they've moved away from the truth. Look at verse 20. Among these are a man by the name of Hymenaeus and another man by the name of Alexander. He, said, he names two names in this letter of men that have moved away from the truth. Now I want you to understand something. When Timothy came to Ephesus... They gathered as a body like this. It probably wasn't as big. It was probably more like a house church, and they probably gathered in a place. And Timothy got up, and he said, I got a letter from Paul. I'm going to read it to you. And he said, Paul just tells me to command certain men not to teach false doctrine. Then in this letter, he names those men. You want to be Timothy? That's what he did. That's why the Scripture has to be taught. There was always public reading of the Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, When I come, he says, Until I come, Timothy, he says, Here's what you do. You gather together for public reading of the Word, public teaching of the Word, and public application of the Word. 
That's why at Countryside, we have a public reading of the Word, we have a public teaching of the Word, and at the very end, we have a public application of the Word. That's what Paul told us to do. That's why when a church doesn't teach the Bible, they're not being biblical. They have to teach the Scripture. That's what you're supposed to do. Paul says, I urged upon my departure, I urged you that, that you command, instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrine. Now, that's the way it reads in the numeric standard. Here, let me show you. The, the, there's one word in the Greek, and it literally means a different kind of teaching. A different teaching. He says, I command them to not teach different teaching. See, Paul had taught the truth there. Paul had been at Ephesus at least two to three different times in his life. He founded the church at Ephesus. He wrote at least one letter to them. He's been back there two times. He taught there for over three years at one time before he was ever in prison the first time. He came back a second time. He now writes this letter. Really, it's to Timothy, but it's to the church. And it's very, very powerful. He says they cannot teach something different, different than he already taught. Seven times in First Timothy he talks about doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. It's very powerful. The Word of God is so powerful and alive that you must teach the Scripture and you must teach the Scripture accurately. That's what he's telling. Now, he says that there are men teaching things that are another teaching. They're different. He describes them in 1 Timothy 6 as conceited and understand nothing. That's what he says. Now, Warren Wiersbe is a a great Bible teacher today. Here's what he said. He said the pulpit is to be a place where God's word is taught, but oftentimes it's a place of entertainment. It must be taught. He says we've got to teach, instruct, command these people not to teach these false doctrines. What were they teaching that was false? What are the kind of things? Well, as you look at the letter, they're things like this. They were under law and legalism. They talked about whether you couldn't marry or not. They talked about eating certain foods. They taught myths. We'll talk about that in just a second. Old Testament law, word games. They, They even claimed they had secret knowledge. We'll talk more about it in a second. 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, Do not teach myths, those kind of things. What are some things today that people teach? Well, sometimes people say that Jesus Christ is not hes not God. I mean, he, he may be a God, but he's not the God. And he was a good man. He was a great example. But the truth is this, Jesus Christ is God. Some people say that, you know, there's no heaven or hell. I mean, some people teach that. They say that, you know, when you die, you die. Or when you die, everybody goes to heaven. There was a guy in Tulsa about six years ago that got removed from his church because he began to teach that everybody's automatically going to heaven. Everybody's going to heaven. Called universalism. It's a false teaching. There are people who teach that you're saved by your works. They don't always say it that bluntly, but they say you must be willing to do the following things in order to be saved. That's works. We've seen in recent years the Bible Code, the book that came out that said there's some hidden messages in the Bible. And we see all the Eastern mysticism that is out there, Eckhart Tolle and all of those things. He says, do not teach these strange doctrine. By the way, what is, what is correct doctrine? What should we teach? I think three big things. The Bible is God's perfect word. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And salvation is by grace through faith. You understand that the Bible is God's word. It is perfect and true. 
It is alive and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. It never comes back void, but accomplishes the purpose that God has. It is profitable. It is the truth. It is what to be taught. It is what to be memorized. It is what to be meditated on. It is God's perfect, inspired word that should be taught. Number two, that Christ is the Son of God. That he left the glories of heaven. He became a human being. Why did he do that? So he could die on the cross to pay for our sins and give us eternal life. There's only one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through him. There's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we might be saved except the name Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the all in all. The third thing, that salvation is by grace through faith. It is not our works in any way, shape, or form. It is not our faithfulness in any way, shape, or form. Jesus died for us, paid for sin. We trust in Him and Him alone, and we're saved, and we're saved forever. It is not your faithfulness or your goodness that saves you. He alone is the Savior. And people unconsciously add works to salvation. It is faith alone and Christ alone. That's why it's called grace. Those are key things. He goes on to some details in verse 4. He says, don't pay attention. Don't tell them not to teach strange doctrines or pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. He says, be careful. Don't, they, don't, they don't need to teach myths. Now, the word myth is mythos in Greek. It means a fable. They were teaching stories. They were teaching stories as if they were from the Bible. They're not. He says they need to quit doing that. And then it says endless genealogies. Now, let me tell you what that is. Endless genealogies could be from the Jewish Old Testament. They would go back and they would find those lists of names. And they would say in those names are hidden things that, that, that are there. They're just lists of names, by the way. But they're not hidden things. But they were teaching that. And then also, there's a thing called Gnostic teaching. I don't, may, many of you may have never even heard of that. But Gnosticism were people that taught that they have a higher knowledge than everyone else. They were teaching at this time. And they would say, we know more than others. We've got... We've got secret knowledge that other people do not have. Apparently, maybe some of those teachers in Ephesus were saying to people, we've got secret knowledge that nobody else has. Paul says, you instruct those men not to teach strange doctrine, not to do those myths, and not to get into all this endless genealogy, which gives it just rises to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God. He says it doesn't help people grow at all. I want to tell you this. About five years ago, a guy came to see me. I got, you know, in my office, a guy called, you know, the secretary said, a guy here wants to see you. I said, okay. I didn't know him. He said, he came in. He said, I don't go to your church, but I just wanted to talk to you because I heard that you, uh, that y'all study the Bible here. I said, oh, yeah, we, we love it. He says, well, I just want to, I want you to know something that I found out. I said, what? He said, well, uh, I found out what happened uh, uh, when the devil was created and then how he fell and what happened then and all this. I said, really, where did you get this? He said, well, it's not from the Bible, but see, it, I just, I've just figured this out. And at least he went on about a 30-minute story of what happened. And there's no biblical basis for this. And I said, you're not, where do you get this from? Well, I just know it to be true. Uh, that's speculation. That's myths. That's endless genealogies. That's things that don't match the scripture. And there are people who who'll come up and say, this is true. Where did you get this? Well, I just know it's true. It's not in the scripture. And so he says, be careful because it adds to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. And that's not helping people grow. I want you to listen to this. This useless thinking, some of these things here, these myths and genealogies were raising questions rather than answering questions. Now I want to tell you something that you may have had to, you'll have to think about this one for a second. The goal of the teacher is not to raise questions 
but to answer questions. The role of the teacher is to teach truth. The role of the teacher is not just to raise a bunch of questions with no answers. I've been in classes where the teacher would raise a question and never answer it. The teacher would say, what what do you all think of this? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? Listen, that's okay to raise questions. You need to answer the questions that you raise. The goal of the teacher is not questions. It is answers. What if I stood up and said, you know, I don't don't know what this means. What do you all think it means? Let's just all talk about it. What do you all think it means? The role of the teacher is to study and present the truth. That's the plan. And so he says, we tell those people that they've got to quit doing that. It's going to be tough now. It's going to be tough. And they've not to pay attention to myths in his genealogies because it doesn't bring about growth. John Bunyan said this. He said, some people like the meat from the bones and other people just like to pick over the bones. So here's the question. What's your focus? Is it the word of God and the truth from God's word? Or do you get on side issues? Things not in the Word of God. Be careful, major on the Scripture. Not myths, not useless discussions, not useless thinking. You, let me tell you some throughout history. What have been some useless things that people have talked about and debated? Here's one. Can God make a rock so big that he can't pick up? They've argued over that. You realize that? Did you realize that in the 1400s they argued over how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? That's endless speculation. That's useless. Paul says, teach these people. They don't need to be into this stuff. Be into the truth of the Word of God. Next time, if you notice verse 5, Paul's going to give us the goal, the goal of sound teaching. Look what it is. But the goal of our instruction is love. That's the key. We'll see it next time. What have we seen this morning? Paul the Apostle writes to Timothy, his younger fellow worker. He tells him to deal with false teaching. He commands them not to teach those strange doctrines because they lead to useless talk rather than growth. Let me give you some applications. Okay, here's the first one. Let's understand God's grace mercy and peace in our lives now that's these are key words and we need to understand them understand first of all the grace of god it is unmerited favor we get what we do not deserve that's what grace is our whole salvation is based on the grace of god the whole aspect of living the christian life is the grace of god may we wake up every day and say thank you lord for your grace the second word is understanding mercy it's not getting what we do deserve we deserve to be separated from god forever we ought to wake up every day and say thank you for letting me live thank you for letting me get to be with you thank you that i'll never be separated because that's what I deserve and the last word is the word peace and that is and there's two kinds of peace peace with God which comes by faith or the peace of God in our lives as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit that we understand those terms second key application is this let's deal with false teaching first of all be able to discern now only way you're going to be able to discern if something is false or not is you're going to have to know the truth. That means you're going to have to study the Bible. You're going to have to know what's right. So when somebody says something that's wrong, you can say, now wait a minute, that doesn't match up. So you've got to be able to discern. Number two, you've got to be ready to confront. That's not going to be easy. There may come a time in your life that somebody is teaching something that you know is wrong, and you may have to say to them, that's wrong be able to confront the third thing is to continue to grow don't get off on the side issues and all of those things that 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 are not even from the bible don't get off into that but grow in the grace and knowledge of our savior may we understand god's dealing with us in grace mercy and peace may we be ready to stand against false teaching 
even in a local body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. And first of all, Lord, thank you for your grace, mercy, and peace in our lives. Thank you that it is by your grace that we're saved through faith. It is your mercy. Lord, thank you. And we just want to thank you every day for that. Thank you for the peace that you give us, not only in our relationship with you for eternal life, but then relationship day after day after day in our fellowship. Lord, I pray as a, as a body of believers that we would deal with false teaching, that we would know the Scripture enough that when we that we'd be able to discern when something is wrong, that we would have the courage and the boldness to confront when time comes, and that we would continue to grow and not get off in useless thinking. Lord, I thank you for our church, and that in the history of this church, we've never had to deal with false teaching in the way that we're thinking of. I just pray, Lord, that it never happens, but I pray that if it ever happens, that we as a local body and our leadership and our men and our people would stand up and remove anything that could be wrong in that way. Thank you for a great church. Thank you for these believers. And, Lord, most of all, we thank you for our Savior Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.